0: Morning, everyone. Oh. With a sense of um, the pastor buzzing this morning. I hope you're, hope you're getting the buzz. I am. I, I came across lovely... Of because we've had some deaths, haven't we, just latterly? And of course, I'm sure you all know now that Colin Urquhart died a few days ago, um, and so did Youngie Cho. Just died a few days ago. Young, you know, he he pastored the. Full Gospel Church in Seoul, which had like a million members a few years ago. I think there's a few less these days. But it's still a matter of 500,000. The biggest church in the world uh, over the last 30, 40 years Um, in South Korea. And others, uh, Joel Edwards, who was a well-known leader of the uh, the Evangelical Alliance in particular, died just latterly. much of months. And a few months beyond that, we lost Louis Palo, uh, who has been a tremendous evangelist, perhaps overshadowed a little over his years by Billy Graham, but nevertheless, a wonderful minister of the gospel. But I just happened to come across a Louis Palo quotation, and I was doing some reading a month or two ago, uh, just in terms of um, us wanting to get out of the building. And feeling that, you know, he says, he's getting older. How do you think I feel? Um, that give Simon a year or two. <laughs> Louis Palo said, the church is like manure. He said, pile it up and it stinks the neighborhood. He said, spread it out and it enriches the world. <laughs> and that's rather lovely, don't you? He obviously was a farmer before he was an evangelist he knows about muck spreading <laughs> do you want that one again the church is like manure pile it up and it stinks the neighbourhood spread it out and it enriches the world <laughs> just a thought I thought you'd like that one yeah we've mentioned uh, Simon's on, on a, a retreat this coming week and um, on Sunday, Jenny and I are looking to um, share with you at life group. But we, we thought we'd make that something of because Colin Urquhart's had a profound influence on both our lives, and on some of yours too, of course, he lived where Marigold is now living at Bonney House for a number of years. So he's, he's a local lad, really. <laughs> um, but, but, just to share some of that with you we'll pray together of course and we won't take the whole evening doing that but I'd love to just pay Colin something of respect because he has a a profound effect on this nation I do believe so James reading this passage I didn't just drop on this passage by a sort of thumb dive Um, I was moved when David Sweetman came to us you know the pastor down in Halesham Halesham, sorry the pastor down in who's who lived here at Fenners before Simon I understand but he, he ministered from James that was the Bible character he chose to minister on, he gave us a lovely background on James, we have from the New Testament and a, a strong word from James chapter 1 and then at live Group last week, I just felt the Spirit ministered to us this lovely verse out of this passage that we've selected this morning, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So it was just leading me in my own thinking and praying to James. So that's the reason I looked at this passage for this morning. <clears throat> So I, I've seen it in three sections. Uh, the first section being in chapter 3, verses 13 to 19, 18, chapter 3. If you have an NIV, it's heading two kinds of wisdom. And then the second section in chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. And finally the third section, if you like, from 7 to 10, chapter 4. I don't know, I'm getting very tired these days in the national TV news of coronavirus um, presentations and statistics and the like. I don't know how you feel about that. But I haven't seen just latterly Professor Jonathan Van Tam doing it. Have you seen Van Tam? He's quite a character. And he usually brings some sort of sporting or footballing analogy to the way he presents the statistics, which makes it sometimes quite interesting. I remember him a few months in the early days of the the lockdown, saying, really, we're in the first half, but we're likely to come in a month or two's time to the um, half-time interval. And after that, we move really into the second half. He didn't say anything at the end about a penalty shootout, but he might (laughs) well have done. He's he's quite prophetic in what he brings. I've noticed that. Um, Apparently, I've found out a little bit more about him. He's a keen supporter of Boston United Football Club. And he gave all their players vaccinations. (laughs) It felt very special for Jonathan Van Tam to have done that. But it just made me think the way he uses these sort of, um, particularly footballing analogies to present the statistics, which makes it a little bit more interesting. Straight away, I could see a sort of footballing analogy in this passage, because it seems to me the first passage in chapter three really speaks of the goal the goal to which we are aiming. The second passage, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, speaks of the opposition which we will find and experience. And the third passage, verses 7 to the end of the reading, speaks of the strategy. That we need to defeat the opposition. So we've got the goal, we've got the opposition, we've got the strategy. It's noticeable that James starts both the first section and the second section at the beginning of chapter 4 with a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? I don't know if I asked the question to you directly, anybody would put their hand up. But he stands, he asks also a question at the beginning of chapter four, doesn't he? A totally different question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? I mean, the preacher would very often say, well, we know that in this church there aren't any fights and quarrels, but there are in many churches. But that rather sort of misses the point, don't you feel? Let's backtrack to the beginning of the reading. Who's wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, and the reading goes on as Simon brought it to us. Um, if you harbour bitter envy, it's getting on about envy and selfish ambition, selfishness. We might not be particularly bitterly envious as people, but all of us can struggle with aspects of selfishness, can't we? And surely that's what James, in part, is getting at here. The struggle between selfishness and the giving of our lives, as Gabe did earlier, as he sat in that box. Which is all the challenge that we all feel, isn't it, as believers. And the, the, the struggle that goes on in our hearts as we cope with A life of submission and doing the will of God as opposed to our own will. And straight away, James contrasts wisdom which comes down from heaven to what he calls earthly wisdom. Wisdom which comes down from heaven is pure, it's peace-loving. It's a bit like his version of Paul's fruit of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? That he gives to us in to Galatians. It's pure. It's peace-loving. It's considerate. It's submissive. It's wisdom from heaven. Full of mercy and good fruit. But wisdom that doesn't come down from heaven is the opposite of that. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's even devilish he doesn't hesitate to use the word it's the world the flesh and the devil before we became believers we didn't bother with the world the flesh and the devil we were just part of it we got on with it didn't we but my word once we become believers and the spirit comes alive within us my word the, the world the flesh and the devil becomes so real because that's the opposition with which we're faced and how real it is on a daily hourly basis we live in a world which is destroying itself through man's sinfulness which is presided over by the forces of evil man is in the dominion of darkness isn't he and the only way he can come out of that is through the light of Jesus and this is what James has bringing to our attention here there are two types of wisdom there's godly wisdom and there is ungodly wisdom which is it's fueled by the world in which we live by the flesh which we have we all of us have that fleshly temptation which can easily lead to sinfulness and James touches on that in the book you've been able to read it, the world, the flesh, and of course, the one who masterminds all of this. He's good at masterminding chaos as the devil. And he keeps us in a sense of confusion. The wisdom that comes from above, that's James' presentation of what we're after as believers, isn't it? Living in what you might call holy wisdom. So that's the goal. Peacemakers. Perhaps this is the, the the climax of this first passage, the end of chapter three. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. And I want to say this morning that that's the goal, isn't it? That's the goal we all have in our lives: a harvest. They produce fruit, don't they, some of them? 30, 60, 100 fold. That's what we want, isn't it? To produce fruit. We're just not going through this life knowing the Lord casually on. Oh, he stirs our hearts. He gives us ambition. Spiritual, godly ambition. And we can be those peacemakers who sow in peace to raise that harvest of Righteousness. And I do feel in these days as we sense the pressure in which we live and this world that bears down upon us on on a daily basis that God is still in the business of producing a harvest. I, I looked at what Jesus said just in his end time discourse in Matthew's Gospel and I often reflect on this little passage that seems to really sum up Jesus' teaching as regards us believers. He says because of the increase of wickedness the love of most will grow cold. Now come on, I don't want to be the most, do you? We've got the world and the flesh the devil we're trying to contend with here. It's so easy to let that draw us back into fear. The pastor's buzzing. I'm going to buzz with him because I need that. <laughs> we need to we, we need to steer each other, don't we? The love of most will grow cold, and we're not going to be amongst those who don't grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And then he says something which, to me, for the church, is the clearest word Jesus ever spoke about the end of the age in which we're living. The gospel of the kingdom, this, the kingdom which we're into now through his saving grace, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Who knows the rest bit? And then the end will come. It's so clear. I don't know whether you ever read Operation World, Powerful. Statistical presentation of of Christian presence in every nation, every people group in the entire world, done by a man called Patrick Johnson. But I think it was in the 90s, I was talking about it one day, and a friend in the church gave me one of Patrick Johnson's books, Johnston's books. It was called The Church is Bigger Than You Think. And the whole point John was making in this book, and it's still, you can get it easily enough, it's still being published, was that with the present rate of technological know-how and uh, innovation, and this was in the 90s, of course, look what's happened since then. This verse that Jesus speaks of here could be fulfilled within our future that this gospel of the kingdom will be published in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and it's quite foreseeable in our day that that can be accomplished. And then the end will come. But the end won't come, I believe this, without a harvest. I don't think it would, because that's that's what Peter says, doesn't he, in chapter three? 2 Peter, that God is staying his hand because his heart's in salvation. God has been patient because his heart's in salvation. God wants more people to come into the kingdom because his heart's in salvation. Yes. And the end won't come until that gospel has been preached and mankind, of whatever nation or people group, has had an opportunity to respond. Now to be part of that, I need to be a peacemaker. I need to be somebody who can make peace. That's not keeping peace. That's the opposite. That's just standing back and hoping the best will happen. Peacemaking sometimes involves confrontation. It involves courage. It involves all the things which in the natural, I am not. Peacemakers, blessed blessed are the peacemakers. What will they be called? blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God the sons of God we we can know that we are sons of God therefore we are peacemakers peacemakers who sow in peace Jesus is the prince of peace Jesus by the cross brought peace I always remember one of Graham Kendrick's Christmas songs he said, we have ravaged the earth with our envy and greed. Tell me, what oh, is rumours of angels. Tell me, when will we welcome his peace? Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. We're in his army for the harvest. Because there's going to be one before the end comes. We don't be standing about doing nothing, do we? Hallelujah. It depends on just receiving the wisdom that comes from above and and denying the world and the flesh and the devil. And that challenges me. I find the world quite easy to get on with. Quite easy. I sometimes find even the devil easy. Oh well yeah, it won't do any harm. You know, temptation. It's quite easy. I remember a leader who used to be in our team, he said, I can resist anything but temptation. <laughs> and it's true. My word, we have to keep on our God. This is, a cha- this is a good place, it's a fun place. We wouldn't be anywhere else. This morning has been beautiful. But come on, friends, Jesus is a challenge like no one else has a challenge. People think religion is a crutch. They're nuts. It's, once Jesus has come into one's life, It's like a mountaineer, he's got to climb Everest. And the challenge of walking with Jesus is a bit similar. But Praise God, we've got the Holy Spirit so we can do it. (laughs) We can do it. Now, that's the goal. The goal is the harvest. Okay, I'll be a bit quicker on the last two sections. The opposition. You touched on it already, but it's very often my own flesh. What causes frights and quarrels amongst you? Come on, says you think, Well, it doesn't happen here. Oh, yes, it does, it's happened everywhere. Paul said it was happening in Galatians, it happened in the, to the Romans, it's happened to every church and all the New Testament writers. It wasn't just James. I mean, Luther thought James was way out, he called it an epistle of straw, that he, he was denying somehow salvation by faith, and he was just. Talking about works. I mean Luther, I mean, where would we be without Luther? But my word is blind as regards James. There's so much similar between what James is teaching and what Paul taught that yeah, I think, why could he not see that? What <laughs> cause he's frights and quarrels. It's the same in every it was the same in the first century, and it's been the same in every other century. And it's the same in the 21st century. You know, the battles within us, of course they are. We want things, we don't get them. You kill and covet. You can't have what you want. We quarrel and fight. You don't have because you do not ask God. That's the thing, isn't it? You don't have because you don't ask God. We have to humble ourselves to ask God. We have to humble ourselves. This is what he's on about here. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your desires, you adulterous people. I thought to myself, we went to um, King's church in uh, Burgess Hill a few weeks ago just to pay a visit. Go somewhere else, we had a band, and had a band. Musicians, you know, they, they were singing. Uh, oh my God, you should have come with us. (laughs) And and, and the guy says that he's preaching and he announced Terry Terry Virgo. You know, Terry Virgo, he's he's like the father of New Frontiers. I don't know how old he is these days. But he was there in the the audience. Not the audience, the congregation. (laughs) He was there. And I thought to myself, what if the connection had somebody like Terry Virgo it was like the Apostle, and he's coming to preach this morning, and he says some nice things to begin with, and then says to us, you're a bunch of adulterers. <laughs> How would you cope with that? I think I'd be struggling a bit. Well, that's what James is doing here. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God... Don't you struggle with that? I do. I mean, I want... Part of retired friends, I want an easy life. Don't, you know, the world is hatred towards... I've been struggling for 30 years in front of churches. No, it's great what I, Look, friends, don't get me wrong. It is a privilege. But it's also... and part of me feels like being a bit friendly with the world until I read the end of the sentence that's hating God that's hating God anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God it's like scripture often does it makes a sentence, says something and then repeats the same thing in the next sentence so that you don't forget what it said. Or do you... Oh, this is a good verse, isn't it? Do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? The new translations that we have seen to struggle with this verse, we all do. What's it mean? Well, when you read the passage, James has been on about envy, human envy, hasn't he? And then I don't think he's changing the subject. That my spirit, untouched by the spirit of God... Is envious. You know, I think somebody's got it better than me. I think I've got, got it tougher than other people. You know, the life has been hard. I'm self-pitying. A bit like Elijah, you know, after he had that intense battle and become one of the most outstanding characters in the whole of the Old Testament. He's running from Queen what was his name, Jezebel and he's full of self-pity. Lord, there's only me left. i take take my life. I've had enough, Lord. God says, forget it. There's 7,000 others. And he gave him a job to do. But it's so easy to get into self-pity. Now, I, I used to think that before he became a Christian, the spirit was dead that the spirit only comes to life when you come to to know Jesus. He quickens the spirit. But I don't think, I haven't thought that for a number of years. I think the spirit, the human spirit, because we're all made in the image of God, whether we function in that way is another matter, but we're all made, every man is made in the image of God, and he has a spirit. And that spirit left to its See, the Spirit is not dead before we become Christians. It's captivated. It's captivated. Wesley got it right. I don't think we've ever sung since I've been here. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Those Wesley hymns, they're classics, aren't they? Long my imprisoned spirit lay. See, I I not understood it. Fast bound in sin and nature's night. The spirit's imprisoned. And the spirit sort of envious. And, 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 and it's constrained by my soul life, which is in charge of the way I act and do things. Until you become a believer, and Jesus brings a spirit to life, and then there's a contest between your soul and your spirit. And we've never experienced that before. I've lived for 35 years before. I've come into this contest between my soul and my spirit. And there's still a contest between my soul and my spirit. I have to learn how to bring the soul into captivity by the spirit. And that to me is what James is saying here. This, my spirit is given in its own natural function. It's imprisoned by my soul and it sort of envies. All of these things he's talking about in terms of the world wrongful, wrongful unspiritual stuff. It's my imprisoned spirit that's frustrated and captivated. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin, nature's night. Thy eye disclosed the quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose. Went forth and followed thee. Come on, friends. <laughs> Come on. Who could write like that? Man, he's inspired when he wrote that. Tremendous. This is why he goes on. God gives us more grace. What happens when the spirit comes alive? God knows, he knows the Lord knows we're gonna find it tough. So he gives us grace. He gives us grace the tougher it gets, the greater the grace. <laughs> it's right, it? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But the opposition, by and large, is me. If I don't fulfill God's word, work for my life, if I don't properly fulfill the plan that he has for me, the only person to blame is me. It ain't you. It's me. <laughs> and the opposition is my flesh. It's giving it into the world, the flesh, the devil. And it's a tough battle. But we've got the wherewithal to overcome it. Praise God. And so we've got the goal, the harvest, we've got the opposition, mainly the flesh, wilderness. Paul call it carnality. I like that word. I mean, we don't these days, do we? Carnality. Carnality. <laughs> Anybody struggle with carnality these days? No, no, I never get carnal. <laughs> we might as well laugh, otherwise I'd cry. Submit yourselves then to God. This is it. What did I say? I said. The goal the opposition mainly me and the strategy verses 7 to 10 this is the climax friends submit yourselves then to God resist the devil and he will flee from you, I tell you that's not an easy verse but, but he, you know, in the power of the Spirit, it becomes easy. We can all resist the devil. Just what Jesus did, didn't he? The temptations? He resisted the devil, and the devil flee from him. That's what Jesus did. And, you know, I have to do the same. And so do you. Now, I mean, that put Satan in his place. We've got the authority. Cynocle was brilliant when it came to authority. He's brilliant. I, I did quite a few missions with Colin. And he'd get the praying there, you know, beforehand. And he'd bring the order of God into us praying together. So that when he went out before, you know, and this wasn't in the fellowship where we all knew each other, this was going out into other places. I remember one that we, we were part of a faith series called Faith in Action. Colin got together with Bob Gordon and David Paulson. And we went to the Colston Hall in Bristol. You know, they changed the name now because Colston and all that recently. Saturday night, the place was packed. Saturday night. It was a hot one in summer, people going like this with the programs. It like, it's an air. But he knew how to bring spiritual authority to a meeting. And when he preached, people listened. Because he knew that. And it was just, you know, there wasn't disorder in his meetings. The, the, the spiritual authority about him that people just had to respect because it was an authority that God brought with him. It was part of his being. Come near to God and He will come near. This is an invitation. Come near. Friends, come near. The evangelist says you've got to choose God. But once I get to know that God chose me, puts a different, a different flavor in it. It becomes intense. God chose me. Yeah, I have to exercise my personal choice, yes. But it's, it's the grace of God which enables that choice to be made. God chose me, and once I know that God chose me, I'll never leave Him because He's chosen me. Come near to God; He will come near to you. Friends, let's learn how to do that in these days, because it's not going to get easier. If we want to be a part of this end-time harvest, my word, is going to be. Some flack generated. There is, but we can do the exploits that God wants us to be doing. We can. Providing we'll watch out. Providing we'll be pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See God. See God. And I don't think it's just Jesus isn't relating that to just heaven. If we're pure in heart, we see God now. Yet yeah, it's not as clear as it will be in heaven. I know that. We've seen the glass darkly. But we see. The eyes are opened. And we see. Wash your hands, you sinners. He's telling you, tell you it. You're a bunch of sinners. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. That's a message for New Frontiers. Definitely a message from the Balneau Chapel anyway. Grieve, mourn and wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. We've been laughing this morning. Beautiful, beautiful. When the scripture says this, this this is what we do for a season. It's what we do sometimes in intercession. It's not that we go about weeping all the time, is it? But, But a lot of the time we do. In order to see the kingdom coming. And for the fullness of that harvest to be reaped. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord, and he will lift you up.